Hello and welcome to Studio P3. This is Marjolaine Fournier and I'm sitting here uh, with Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler. Uh, we're exploring the symphony and today our subject is vast and known and unknown and it's Brahms' third symphony uh -huh. and the fourth symphony. Absolutely, known and well-known. That's that's very right. And I rightly said, you know, the man was. Uh, uh, it's it's his own fault in up to a certain point because he was an extrovert. But uh, but the extroverts very often don't tell the real story. Mm. <laughs> and uh, he, at the age he was when he composed the, the third and fourth symphony, around fifty, uh, he was the life and soul of the parties uh, when he was with his buddies out uh, eating and drinking. Uh, was, uh, he loved his beer. He loved his eating. He loved his cigars. He loved the evenings out with uh, with the friends. But um, he, uh, at the same time, at the same time, he kept the uh, his inner battles for his music. first two podcasts this season were about two geniuses who started right away composing things that were um, well received that were he, they were very creative Mozart and Mendelssohn that's right two two boys that died young mm -hmm. now Brahms wrote his first symphony when he was 44 that's and right. if you know if he had lived like those two fellows he would have died before before that you know? yes absolutely so, but he was very well known by the time he wrote his first symphony he was well known but that was that was the fault of another boy called Beethoven you know what Brahms said to the conductor Hermann Levy uh, Hermann Levy, by the way, who was a conductor who gave the premiere of Parsifal, uh, amongst other things, a very good conductor, he said to him, you don't know what it is like always to hear the giant marching al along behind me along behind me and you know and it was about Beethoven composing a symphony was a very very big thing uh, when you had the ninth symphony hanging around and you know and, and dominating the, the the 19th century so that's why he uh, he started uh, he tried and he did all kind of trial and error works like uh, not error works I mean, they're different works but he, he went in the direction of of, of composing larger works by uh, composing his serenades, by composing his first piano concerto, which he did quite young. He was mm -hmm. 27 or 28. I, I, I could be mistaken there, but uh, uh, he was very young. And that first sim the first piano concerto in fact is a symphony with piano obbligato. So he's trying things out and then when he gets older, he's, uh, he's working on variations. He's a very very great specialist in variations. He does wonderful works. Variations on the theme by Handel. Variations on a theme by Haydn, which he orchestrates, which he composes for orchestra, and which uh, which are also preparations, in fact, for the larger works, for uh, to 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 
put together that incredible structural force which he has already in him and in which he resembles Beethoven very much. It's not only Beethoven, in fact, if I may, I mean, it's not only Beethoven that is in the background. Not Mozart, not Mendelssohn, but it's more uh, Bach, Handel, Haydn, Schumann, and up to a certain point, Schubert. And I'll explain this in a few words. You know, from Bach, he, he, he used the beautiful bass line. Uh, from Handel, he, he gets the structures, and we talked about that when we talked about the second piano concerto. Uh, there in the second movement, there is this moment when you hear, um, uh, when you hear a concerto grosso by, by Handel. And uh, so he, he, he gets this, in, uh, moreover, also the interior strength of a Beethoven. He has that. And because he resembles so much that interior strength of a Beethoven, it was difficult to become uh, mm. another Beethoven. And you know very well what happened when the first symphony came out. Then uh, people said that one of the, uh, uh, I think it was Hanslick, one of the critics, said, here's Beethoven's 10th symphony. Mm. And it was it was really on the road. And once he got that first symphony off the road at 44, he, uh, he, he, the next year he did second symphony and then six years later, the second group of symphonies. Now, uh, these, uh, uh, these, uh, these symphonies, all these symphonies which he has composed, I've not finished. I mean, I, I still have to talk about Schubert and Schumann because you will say, okay, this is very nice. Bach, we understand. Handel, we understand. Beethoven, um, uh, Beethoven and Haydn, which is one uh, one uh, uh, genealogical line, in fact. Uh, um, uh, Haydn and Beethoven, Haydn for the invention, Beethoven for the interior strength. But you have on the other side Schubert and Schumann. Um, Schumann, in fact, for the agitated lyricism that's in it, but also for the, the, the sense of chivalry, for heroism, you know, mm. there's, that, that is in the music by, by Schumann. And Schubert, of course, for his empathy with uh, um, uh, folkloric sim simplicity, you know, mm. there is a, there's this, this empathy with uh, folklore that, that, that goes together. But and it's his huge. music is, yeah. is, of course, pure music. And he has these four symphonies, these symphonies that are all different planets but belong to the same solar system. And <laughs> And he's the sun in the center of that. You know, there's this, this strength and strength with, but of course, marvelous strength. You know what great strength is about. It's not boastful, wild noise. It is being able to contain one's weaknesses. Aha, very well put. <laughs> and it's, very well put. Uh, and the older he gets uh, from this internal warmth of the sun, uh, which I compare, you know, he's, for me, he, you know, he is like that center, you know, the uh, solar, uh, the solar system of those four symphonies, which are all at the same level, by the way, this is a, this is a corpus, which is a, at a same high level. You know, other composers have symphonies that are rather better and, uh, you know, or, or worse. <laughs> well, not only that, but it always struck me that many composers, not Brahms, to me anyways, you can track their progress. You uh -huh. can track their evolution with their, their music. You know, Mozart, easy. Yeah. Beethoven yeah. also. Yeah. But Brahms, it's sort of, there's nothing, and then there's 
the first symphony, pow, and the second, and uh, you know, and it's all there. The Brahms sound is already there. And they're all related. They seem, they seem to be complements to each other. Like mm. the first and second symphony, the first, the symphony starts with a, with a downbeat and the second symphony with an upbeat. And, 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 and the third and the fourth symphony, in a, in a way, are very much related also. And there, there is a, a, an extraordinary story about that. You know, the fourth symphony, which he composes one year and a half after the third symphony. Well, um, the, in the fourth symphony, it's as if you, you're entering a space where music has already begun. And, uh, and that gives that, that extraordinary start of the Fourth Symphony. Well, in fact, um, Brahms had composed um, lines that were about the same lines as his Third Symphony. So he took them away. <laughs> he took them away. So there's, there, 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 there is a kind of internal relationship between that he's aware of and also. that he's uh, he's aware of absolutely and and that's why uh, and it's normal in fact because you know when you compose one and i'm talking about third and fourth symphony now in two years time less than two years mm -hmm. two major symphonies which are the in 83 1883 and 84-85 uh, the about the only things he composes. He does lots of chamber music before, and he will do lots of chamber music uh, uh, a bit between, and then lots of leader and chamber music afterwards. But you have those two enormous pillars, and uh, they're almost done at the same time. It's one, one wave of, of, uh, of, of work. I, I have to open a parenthesis here. I have a, a terrible question that I need to ask, and it's... You know, in my world as a double bass player, mm -hmm. all I know is the serenades and the, the concertos and the symphonies. That's it. But am I missing out on all that chamber music? In other words, is Brahms, if you want to describe Brahms, is it his chamber music or is it his symphonies that represent him the best? If you were going to say, here, discover this composer. Well, it, it, it's very different. He, uh, in the beginning, for example, it are uh, piano works that are important. He, he is a pianist, and so he will be. He will tell himself, or he will express himself through piano works. Right. And um, uh, and calmly, there are more and more works that. Uh, but his life, and throughout his life, he will compose leader. He will uh -huh. compose choirs. He's a great choir conductor. He has been uh, the director of choirs in Hamburg and in Vienna for some time. You know, mixed choir, 10 mixed choirs, three uh, pure uh, women uh, choirs for uh, female voices, one choir for male voices. You know, t uh, he, he composes about 75 uh, leader plus 91 lighter leader that goes with I mean I'm, I'm doing this by heart I mean but for orchestra for orchestra as such um, he you're right two serenades the variations for Haydn the four symphonies two overtures and three That's Hungarian it. dances and then the the German the Requiem and the Requiem, which comes a bit earlier and which is much closer, which is already a beginning also towards the symphonic, the symphonic mode. So You're so right. But also, which answers his 
work for choirs. Mm. So it seems to me like we're, we're, we will talk. I'm going to close the parenthesis. We will talk about his symphonies, but it seems to me that I, as an orchestra musician, have not discovered half of, of the oeuvre. No, there's, a, there's extraordinary chamber music by, by him. The, the quartets, trios. With and clarinet, by, and, with and, horn, etc. And the, the horn is, uh, is younger. Mm. Um, the horn, uh, the, the trio with horn is beautiful. Um, I call it the nature work, you know. It's a, uh. And he did it, in fact, just after his mother died. So it's a very, very interesting, again, oppositional work. You know, uh, when you're really very sad, you have to get something happier out. You know, that happened with Beethoven, happened with many, many composers. You know, they, uh, they and, don't reflect yeah. really what their internal world is about, always. It's Another one, the opposite. Eh? Another one. But what, uh, what he does is uh, uh, the sextets by him. Too true. That's huge. The two sextets by him are absolute right. marvelous. And the older he gets, he gets back to the piano and to organ music. And, uh, and as I I, as I said, I say very often, listen to the Opus 116 till Opus 119. They're, they're masterworks of autumnal, autumnal inner life, you know. And, uh, and if you want to listen to great performance of it, listen to the Glenn Gould performance of it, who was a nocturnal musician and who, who caught the atmosphere so right of so Brahms getting older. You know. Glenn Gould is your guy for for, for, for those For the last works, not, yeah. not, not for the first works. No, 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 for the last works. Anyhow. Let's get back to our symphony. Let's get to back to our symphonies with these, these great organic tempi, this internal pulsation, these... Uh, um, um, this marvelous construction, you know, in each of his symphonies. But what we are talking about, of course, is essentially the, the third symphony. And um, the third symphony, which he composed in 1883 in Wiesbaden, you know, is again in the summer. He's, he's a kind of major summer composer because he travels a lot he conducts a lot uh, and he sees lots of friends in Vienna when he's in the winter in Vienna and so he works much more during the summer the way Mahler uh, conducted his uh, may, uh, conducted uh, created his symphonies essentially in the summer. I'm a summer composer, said Mahler about that. <laughs> well, in a way, Brahms is. He's in Wiesbaden. He's in the, in in uh, in a bed and breakfast of Frau von Davids, and that's where he composes in a few weeks. In fact, this third symphony, uh, a third symphony, which uh, people call very often the. Heroic Symphony, they compare it to the, uh, the first symphony called the Pathetic Symphony, the second, the Pastoral, the third, the Heroic, and the fourth, the Contrapuntal Symphony. Oh. But these are limitations. These are, uh, these are uh, you know, uh, limited definitions, and they, they don't uh, tell you exactly what, what, what the work is about. So... Um, he uh, he has a symphony in uh, in four movements, of course, because uh, you know I think we have said it before, but you know he's both a has a classical mind and he's a romantic. <laughs>
And that brings me to, you know, instead of pushing the form out like some composers before him and some composers at the, the contemporaries, mm -hmm. he likes to keep the form intact yeah. and his romanticism is poured into that form, into right? Into that form, in that form. But, you know, the, he keeps it intact up to a certain point. Mm. Um, when one listens well, one hears moments, there are moments that one says, hey, <laughs> what did he do here? What is this? And Schoenberg, of course, second school of Vienna, Schoenberg will give an extraordinary speech for the 100th uh, uh, celebration, 100th anniversary of Brahms's birth in 1933, and he called Brahms Brahms, the, the, the musician of the future, you know, it's, uh, the, the, uh, and I, I do think that, that Brahms is very much a, 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 a the, the progressive musician, that is the title of his work, Brahms, the progressive musician, and, and he used him, his, the first works by, by uh, Schoenberg are, are, are works based on what he knew from Brahms and what he knew from, from Wagner. And he will take one of the, the piano quintets, the first piano quintet, and will turn it into a new symphony. He will, uh, you know, uh, orchestrate the so Brahms's first. This uh, battle piano that, uh, pardon me. Yeah, go ahead. This battle that was going on while Brahms was alive. This, uh, in French, we call that in uh, chicane de clocher. You know, the two gangs <laughs> yes. that were in existence at the same time. Schoenberg will bring them together. In fact, he does. And, and, and Brahms was not uh, against Wagner. Va Brahms admired Wagner. Oh. When one, yes, and he, he Brahms uh, certain works from uh, of Wagner more than others, like uh, the master, uh, the Meistersinger von Nuremberg, he liked very much. Uh, it's a, uh, less chromatic than Parsifal and, and uh, Tristan and, and Isolde, but uh, he, he admired it. And he, he, you know, this was a kind of artificial uh, the, the battle of uh, the little village battle in Vienna. Yeah. Um, it, it was done the critics had very much to do with it and they opposed Brahms they opposed Brahms and Bruckner they opposed Brahms to to the the so-called modern school Liszt and Wagner but uh, I do think that also is part of the cliches and that is part of uh, Brahms was more open-minded less open-minded towards Liszt whom he uh, uh, hated for, for I don't know what reasons, but you know, uh, essentially musical reasons. He said that he uh, he, uh, he 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 corrupts the youth, and uh, and he de he depraves the donkey's ears of the public. <laughs> I, I'm, Boy, I, yeah, no, he was tell a, us what yeah, you really think. <laughs> yeah, anyhow, well, let's let's uh, let's say what we really think about the Third Symphony. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and work on that. So four movements and uh, an allegro con brio with a, uh, a beat of six on four, which is not an easy one, um, a, a very difficult one, uh, according to many conductors, uh, to keep the movement together in that pulsation, um, that pulse, uh, yes. um, uh, and it, it's in F major, so it's a, it's a kind of a lighter, uh, you know, there's lots of light in that, in, in that first uh, movement. Do you know what Arnaud Court, you just reminded me, Arnaud Court <laughs> says that the key of F major reminds him of Christmas. 
Well, there we go, you know, you and, go. and especially composed in the month of June. So that's <laughs> there, there we go. There we go. You know, now, there are times for Christmas and times for all the things. Uh, but I, I, I have I, to remind you about the, the first notes. The three notes. Uh, yes. the, these uh, first I love notes. This. Uh, well, the three first notes are uh, in, in the drum and in, in the English notation. <laughs> We, uh, we have more problems in French because it's a very different notation, but these are letter notations for the notes. And so the first one is F, of course, Fa, <laughs> uh, 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 F major. And then the last one is F major also, F, F. And in between there is an A, an A, which is an A flat. And so there you go, you get that, that first uh, cluster of three notes, which will be the signature for the whole symphony. It will come back regularly in the symphony and, and uh, in the first movement, certainly. So that FAF means something. And it, and it means, in fact, uh, frei, aber froh, which means in English, free but happy. Now, there is a kind of contradiction between those two, but it's not really a contra an internal contradiction. It is the opposition that it takes with the frei, aber einsam, which is the F-A-E used by Josef Joachim in his works. Now, Josef Joachim, we know who this is, one of the greatest violin uh, virtuosos and musicians of the 19th century who has composed a certain number of works and uh, who was one, one year, one year and a half older than Brahms, who introduced Brahms to Schumann. Um, they and, were friends. They and were they good, were good very, friends. very good friends. And Brahms will uh, compose his violin concerto and also his double concerto for, for Joachim, also, some of the violin sonatas are for Joachim. Mm -hmm. Joachim is also a very good conductor. Joachim will conduct the second premiere of the Third Symphony in Berlin uh, on the 4th of June, uh, 1884. I will tell you. So they're very close. They know each other very well. They work well together. And um, so there is an opposition there. Joachim, in his works, is F-A-E, and he is F-A-F, Frei, aber froh, free but happy. And I do think when he was 50, when he was 50, he was very happy. Um, he had... He had his life around him, uh, 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 he organized his life very well. Um, he was the composer of the end of the, of the 19th century. There was no problem. On the other side, there was Wagner, of course, but it was a totally different field. Um, Brahms has never composed operas. <laughs> So That's true. A, he never touched that field. And, Bra and, and, and Wagner, of course, although he tried to compose a symphony, it's very bad in, the, in his youth. Uh, I know the symphony, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it has nothing to do, it has nothing to say. That was not his field. So they, they were very happily separated <laughs> and uh, no, no competition really. The competition was fake. By, by the newspapers, yeah. you know, newspapers do those things, so even today. So first movement, first movement, a, that, that incredible FAF to start, and then he gets into his first 
principal theme. He has three principal themes in that first movement and four secondary ideas, which are kind of satellites from those themes. And um, and uh, he will go through the, the, the first movement to the development and the re-exposition. This is, you know, it is a sonata form. He is a classical musician, and but he's a classical musician with many themes. And those, the tension between the themes are very Beethovenian, and that's one of those things that he has inherited of Beethoven and which gives it the oppositional forces which are mm -hmm. so wonderful and make the symphony so dramatic, in fact. And so, uh, 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 very ample coda in which he develops the first theme again and will end with F-A-F. So then he gets to the second movement. Now, the second movement is, uh, is, is C major and four, of pulse four by four, not too difficult, only one theme, three secondary ideas, and uh, brought in very, very uh, calm pastoral movements mm. and... Um, almost bucolic, eh? Almost bucolic, slightly melancholic. You know, it's it's the it's a kind of dream world in yeah, which life it lets is a long, goes. quiet river. Oh, we hope so from time <laughs> to time. And then he gets to the third movement. I mean, it's we're very much in Nordic poetry. I mean, you know, you know, whatever, whatever. He lived in Vienna. He was the, the toast of the city of Vienna, in fact. But at the same time, you don't. You can't hide your uh, your origins. You know the man came from the north of Germany, of the land, the land in the north of the the Baltic Sea. You know, and and you have this Nordic poetry coming in, and you have it also in the third movement, a poco allegretto, um, uh, C minor. So in opposition mm. to the C major one that you just heard, three. Pulse three of out of eight, you know, and it's a kind of scherzo with a trio, but it's not really a scherzo. The trio is there, uh, but the, the scherzo is more of an intermezzo, and um, and uh, and you know, very warm, lyrical, very expressive. There is a, there is a moment in for for the. Uh, it starts, in fact, it starts with the cellos, and the cellos are are. Um, elegiac you know very elegiac and then the the violins take over and they're more they're warmer more lyrical and then later it's the horn that takes over and the horn is so expressive you talked a few minutes ago about that wonderful trio for horn piano mm -hmm. which is a wonderful work and, and 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 you hear it again there in that and then he turns into the trio which is the central kind of meditation it's a strange slightly. little trio a strange little trio you know just little takeoff and there's a, a, almost a no melody there uh, almost no melody but you know with a little touch of dance also in yeah. it and it's uh, and then he gets back to the the intermezzo and to uh, and a little bit more ornate and that's it and there goes that wonderful poco allegretto which was used of course as the theme of a movie do you love brahms i think they called it in english i looked up that it's called oh. goodbye again goodbye again of oh, course. what a stupid title <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, translations very but often do that i think the device was that the boy in order to keep the girl interested in him he he doesn't know what to do so he says uh do do you like brahms he sees a poster yeah, and, yeah. and do you like brahms but it's about an 
affair. It's very sordid, really. It's a very sordid affair, yes. It's uh, Tony Perkins, Yves Montand, yes. and uh, Ingrid Bergman between the two gentlemen, which uh, I won't go into at this very point. We'll get to the fourth <laughs> movement. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> and because the fourth movement is yes. more interesting than the relationship of those three people, and uh, you get the, the opposition with the first movement. So if you have the light movement for in the first movement, you have the darker side in the in the in the, in the finale, which is in F minor. So you see what he did? F major first movement, F minor last movement, the two middle movements, C major and C minor. Hmm. He's it's it's perfectly built. I mean, it's the, the constructions of his symphonies are absolutely marvelous. But what he does there, it's a more free sonata movement and and the FAF will will come back as accompaniment around and he you know what he does he has i think three secondary ideas and three principal themes in the last movement alone and he starts with the three secondary ideas so just to make you wait to just to taunt you just to keep set you the stage, waiting eh? and set the stage three secondary ideas and then comes in the exposition of the three uh, the three principal themes and um, and and then he goes into the development because he keeps his the system going he gets into the development and he uses only the secondary ideas isn't that so? the first and the third one especially in that I'm, ch I'm going into a few details because it is so beautifully built so beautifully built. And then he gets to the re-exposition, which is very normal in the tradition. And the three themes come in perfect order. It goes into the coda. And in the coda, it's a kind of second development. And only the secondary ideas come <laughs> again. Yes? I, you're making me think that it must be very hard to conduct this properly. Oh yes, it's absolutely hard, and especially the the what the, the point I'm coming to now, because you the the, the dramatic end um, is has something something fantastic around it. It um, it dissolves itself into a poco sostenuto, and in a conclusion of a of a vision of a vision which has accumulated the, 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 the mysterious energies of the two central movements. And, and, and that vision disappears little by little and goes into silence. And that's the end of the movement. Very difficult to pull off well. And that's why many conductors, well, where do you put the Third Symphony? You don't end the concert with the Third Symphony. People are not, gonna, uh, not going to applaud as much because it just disappears into openness, uh, which is wrong, of course. This, was, this symphony, as soon as he had composed it, he made a, a, a transcription for, for piano and four hands because, you know, that was the 19th century, you know, to, to get things going. And so people would know your symphony. And he had also a transcription for two pianos. I don't think it has ever been published, but he composed a transcription for two pianos. There was one for four, four hands. And then the news went straight through Europe, straight to Europe. Premiere was done right away on the 2nd of December, 83 in Vienna. I think he conducts and then symphony. Symphony will become, as he says, he, I quoting Brahms, uh, un, unfortunately 
too well known. <laughs> Unfortunately, too well known, he said. And it is the least played for the reason and for other reasons I will give you in a few seconds because it's so difficult for a conductor to hold the first movement together and to get that finale so uh, softly out into, into the world. But at that time, at that time, I must say, um, the, the second premiere was given in Berlin after the second, you know, the first one on the 2nd of December. Um, at the 2nd of January, it was given in Berlin, sort of a month later. And it was uh, directed by whom? By Josef Joachim. It was, it had such a great success, they had to call in Brahms to, to Berlin uh, to conduct three more of the concerts. And the next month, I think it was the next month, von Bülow, the other great conductor of that time, I, you know, we have mentioned he Hermann comes up Levy. all the time. I mean, that of guy. course, von Bülow has been central uh, to uh, some some of the relationships with, and especially with uh, with Mahler. Even mm. Mahler creates his first movement of the Second Symphony, the Trauermarsch, the the Death March, after having been impressed by the burial of von Bülow. <laughs> You know, he was a great, great conductor, and uh, and uh, he was central to the, the creation field of that time between Wagner, between to whom he lost his his wife, unfortunately, <laughs> um, but Wagner, uh, well, anyhow, uh, had a very uh, very special man. Um, and, uh, so from Bülow, we mentioned Hermann Levy, who was around. They, these are top level conductors. This is the first generation, in fact, of uh, professional conductors. Von Bülow. Mm. Von Bülow, oh, Hermann Levy, um, the, 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 so, these people um, were, not as, uh, were not really composers before that. All right. conductors were composers. Yeah. We talked about that in one of our other podcasts, and so they, they, there you go. The, the the symphony went into into the uh, into the world, and we haven't said what what. <laughs> that, that's most probably what you want to tell me about. I mean, well, uh, I, I will say it. Uh, von Bülow uh, gives this uh, uh, the premiere with the orchestra of Meiningen. Yes, it comes back to my mind in the orchestra of Meiningen. And uh, the, the program was made in the first part by the Third Symphony and the second part by the Third Symphony. Fantastic Simply programming. Repetition. Great yeah. programming. That's what people did at that time. Great, great programming. So we have that Third Symphony and it went into the world. The problem is that um, the uh, today uh, it, it, is, it is the kind of... Uh, the, the one that is less played. And why? It's finally difficult to bring off, says a conductor called Marina Alsop, a lady conductor whom I like very much and is a very good Brown specialist. Bernard Heiting says, the, uh, the number three is a very complex piece. <laughs> the first movement is incredibly symphonic and technically quite difficult for a conductor to keep together in six-fourths. It is very difficult to launch. He said there was an old tradition of those two chords, major and minor, in the brass, and that the conductors made a, very quickly a crescendo towards the third chord. Mm -hmm. He said, wrong. In fact, these are two pillars one should not mess around with. 
here is one, here is the other, and it's very passionate, but then breaks down at the end of the first movement already to a piano finish. You know, the first movement also goes to a piano finish. You know, there, there is mirror elements in that symphony, which I had not mentioned before, but here is Haitink telling us. And then, of course, Alsop saying the, the opening, we're getting back to the first movement, the opening is crucial to find the right tempo that, that propels it without pushing it too much, uh, to give it the space without making it sound slow. And she says also, great orchestras can do that. They can fill in the time without really expanding the time. Just like filling it up as much as you can before it changes shape. Very Beautiful. difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. And I wanted to mention those two conductors to say, this is a complex piece and it just flows straight down your heart. That's beautiful. Well, Jean-Jacques... We could talk for another five or six hours Absolutely. on the first movement. <laughs> yes. So we have to uh, cut short. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Yes. Do you want to make a guess as to what it's going to be? Well, I think Schubert is in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to this very much. Thank you so much. So do I. We'll have a walk with Schubert. <laughs>